morning and welcome to worship service this morning at First Church. And to all the mothers that are with us today and to those listening on radio, a very happy Mother's Day to all of you. Several announcements before we start our service this morning. Our Sunday school classes, nursery through third grade, will have a, have a Mother's Day open house today. It will start immediately following our worship service. The rose on the altar this morning is in honor of Adrian and Marilyn Cook's 66th wedding anniversary, which they will be celebrating on Saturday, May the 20th. So congratulations to both of you. Also, First Church cookbooks are here. You can purchase one after church today at the parking lot entrance. And also, I want to say thanks to the Men's Voice Choir for the prelude today. Eric said Kay was hesitant to sing in the group because she is not a man. (laughs) Eric says she is a rose among thorns. That's why she was wearing the rose today. So thanks to Kay for helping out with those tenors. At this time, I'd like to call Tori Russell, our youth director, to come forward. She'd like to share a couple bits of information on some upcoming events. Good morning. Uh, two things. VBS uh, is just around the corner, and I think we're like maybe three weeks out, and we still need a teacher. Um, Maria Lammers has offered to teach the four-year-old class if someone would be willing to run the craft room. Um, and all the crafts are all planned out, so we just need one person to kind of help teach the crafts and tell the kids what to glue and where to stick things and all of that. Um, so if you're interested in being the craft teacher or teaching the four-year-olds, um, we need you, so please let me know. Um, and then also next week, our kids that are going to Young Life Camp are going to have a baked potato fundraiser. And we did this last year. Um, and so we invite you all to come down after the service and to enjoy lunch with us. And we will be serving you delicious potatoes with a lot of uh, awesome toppings. So please join us for that um, next week. Thank you. Thank you, Tori. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. Please take the time to look them over. And now would you please stand and join me in our call to worship this morning, which is taken from Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Please remain standing as we sing our praise him 10,000 reasons.
As the children come forward for the children's chat with Mrs. Rohrball, please take a moment and greet one another. Well, good morning, guys. Oh, good morning. Let me hear that again. Let me see your smiling faces and let me hear those loud good mornings. Good morning. Oh, there we go. Well, what is today, guys? What are Mother's Day? Can you guys all help me with one thing real quick? Can you look out to all the moms and yell, Happy Mother's Day? Ready? Our moms are very special to us, aren't they? What is something that we have that we can help our mothers with? Or what is something that we have that we can show mom how much we love her? It's two things. What are these? Your hands. And your hands are something that you can show mom that you love her. Now, what is something that you can do with your hands to show mommy that you love her? You can go Do a Mother's Day gift? Pick up the laundry. What is something else that you guys can do with your hands to help mom? Clean up. Wash the dishes. Jojo, what do you do for mommy? Wash the dishes. Wash the dishes. Reagan, what do you do for mommy? Um, I help bake cookies. You help bake cookies. All right. Well, I bet the Hirschfeld house smells good. <laughs> what is something else that we can do with our hands? We can maybe pray for mommy. Because mommy needs our prayers, right? Because she does a lot for us. And you can make handprints. You can make handprints for mommy. What is something else that you can do for mommy? Give her a hug. Well, mommy is, if you think of a hug, what do you think of this? This is a cross. And Jesus had his hands strung out across the cross. Basically with his arms open wide. And God has his arms open wide and ready to give us hugs, just like our moms. And moms, when they give you that hug, there's nothing better than a hug for mom. But there's different things that we can do for mom. Because mom is our protector. She is our provider. She, does she fill your bellies with good food? Does she cook for you? Yeah. So mommy does that all too. And you know what? The best thing that you can probably do for your mom rather than a hug or a kiss is pray for her. You can pray for your mom for the day that she has a good day and whatnot. So let's pray for our mom. And then you guys can meet me right down here. I have something that you can share with your mom. It's a kiss. So you guys can meet me right down here on the first pew. Let's bow our heads and you guys can pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just so thank you for these children. We thank you for having them up here and for their hearts and everything good in their lives. Lord, but we thank you for their mothers and we thank you for everything that they do for these kids by loving them, by protecting them, and by giving them a home and a shelter. And Lord, I thank you for their love that they show to their kids and and the love that, that you show to them. 
Lord, I pray this in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for our mothers on this Mother's Day. Thank you for all that they do for our families and all that they have done and will do, Lord. Uh, and, and what a gift of motherhood that motherhood is. And pray that you would bless them and honor them this day. Lord, we also remember those this day uh, who have served as mothers uh, to, to people maybe outside of their family, those who have stepped in and been mothers to, to children, to, to friends and family, Lord, uh, who, who didn't have a mother themselves. And so we thank you for their gift as well and pray that you'd bless and honor them also. Uh, Lord, we lift up those who are in need in our church, in our community, and around the world. Uh, we, are, we remember those who are suffering at this time. We remember those who are in need of healing. And pray, Lord, that you'd provide exactly what they need. Uh, you are a God who is able, and you are a God who provides and cares for us just as a loving parent does. Uh, and so we are thankful, Lord, that, that through you uh, we have the example of what a good parent is, what a good mother is. And thank you, Lord, for the provision that you provide uh, for your children. Uh, we pray these things now in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Those helping with the offering, please come forward at this time. Our offering today goes to support Cheryl Reed and Young Lives in Zanesville, Ohio. Uh, just on a side note, uh, I got a chance to speak with, with Mitch uh, Reed, who is, uh, as many of you know, a former uh, youth pastor here at First Church, and his wife Cheryl is, is the one we're supporting today. Uh, he wanted me to pass on that that without the support of First Church, uh, Young Lives in Zanesville would not happen. And, and uh, you guys have been generous over the years in support of her. And, and when, other, when, when times have been tough uh, in terms of funding, um, we have been there to support them. So thank you for that. I wanted to, to pass that on to you, and she is very grateful for, for our continued support. So uh, at this time, I invite the choir to, to bless us with their music ministry as we collect the offering. Oh, 
Please remain standing for the scripture this morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's stand and sing number 493, It Is Well With My Soul.
Amen. You may be seated. To apologize, Tracy. Uh, we have the... <laughs> We forgot to switch the scripture passage up on the pulpit here from last week. So uh, I kind of fittingly enough, fit it, no, I'll read it again. It's totally fine. But fittingly enough was about humility, right? You know, so apologize. Sorry about that. Um, I'll go ahead and read the, the, the scripture passages for us today. Um, anytime, God, anytime God's word is read, it's a good thing. And so uh, we just need to be maybe needed to be reminded of, uh, of uh, having a sense of humility this week. But I'm going to read from uh, two passages, Ephesians chapter four, verses twenty nine through thirty two and Colossians chapter three, verses twelve through fourteen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then the passage from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful uh, that you are our God and that you provide uh, for us and provide a word for us today. I pray that you would give me words to speak Open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may in all things, Lord, we give you the honor and glory. In Christ we pray. Amen. Probably one of the most well-known uh, prophets from the Old Testament was Jonah. Jonah is a very popular character, especially in children's Sunday school. It's a nice little story about a whale and, and, and all of that stuff. Uh, but I think Jonah has a lot to say uh, when it comes to forgiveness and having a, a heart that's unforgiving that we often overlook. Um, if we look at the, the story of Jonah as a whole, uh, Jonah was a prophet called by God to go and preach uh, a word of repentance, go and preach a message to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was a, a, the capital, uh, was a capital city um, and was, was known as one of the enemies of God's people. They had often were antagonistic towards each other. So God was calling Jonah to go and preach a message of forgiveness, of repentance, to the people that he considered enemies, the people that were often considered enemies of God's people. And so like, like any good person would do, Jonah was asked to go and preach in Nineveh, and the first thing he did was got on a boat and sailed for Tarshish, the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, right? He, he had a calling from the Lord, and he went in the exact opposite direction. And so uh, he was the, the boat uh, that he was on found itself in the middle of the storm. And in order to save the boat, in order to save the people, he said, just cast me overboard, right? Cast me into the sea because I've brought this calamity. I've brought this trouble on us. And so, so Jonah finds himself in the sea and, and, and he's swallowed by this giant fish and spends three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And from there he he is able to pray to the Lord and, and seek God's forgiveness. And, and eventually this, this fish uh, spits Jonah up on the beach. And so Jonah is miraculously saved. And at that moment, he realizes that he should not have run away from God's calling, but had run towards what God asked him to do. And so he goes to the city of Nineveh and he preaches this message uh, that, that God would destroy the city unless the people repented. And, and, uh, and turns out they listened. 
the people of Nineveh, from the greatest to the smallest, repent and turn to the Lord. And there's this, in a sense, kind of a revival in the city. And you'd think that, that a prophet would be rejoicing that his message was heard and received, right? So many prophets in the Old Testament uh, didn't have their words received very kindly. I think of Jeremiah who faced hardship and jail and, and suffering for preaching the word of God. And Jonah here has his message received beyond what he probably could have thought, right? The, the people that were enemies of God and enemies of God's people repented and believed. And, and so you'd think Jonah would rejoice about this, but he doesn't. He goes out and he sits under, he sits out in the, in the wilderness and complains to God that the people received the word. He said, God, I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were faithful to your word. And I knew that if these people repented, then you would forgive them. And, and, and in essence, what he's saying is he was, I didn't want them to be forgiven. I didn't want them to experience God's grace and God's mercy. And so Jonah finds himself sitting under this plant, right? And, and God teaches him a lesson about the importance of forgiveness. See, Jonah would much rather have held on to his grudge. He would have much rather held on to his anger and hatred towards the people of Nineveh. God offered them forgiveness, but Jonah was trying to hold on to that bitterness that he had experienced. And so he was actually upset that God had done this great thing in their lives. It's an example of us, for us, about what unforgiveness can do, what unforgiveness and bitterness looks like in our hearts. God had done something great. God, they had experienced God's forgiveness, and yet Jonah was upset about it. You see, I think it's so much easier for us as human beings to hold on to our grudges, hold on to our anger, than to let it go. There's some comfort there, I think kind of a twisted sense of comfort, but there's comfort in holding on to that anger and that fear and that uh, hatred towards someone else. And so Jonah is, is a story about a prophet who was disobedient and then, and then became obedient, but it's also a story about a person who is experiencing and dealing with unforgiveness in their heart an unwillingness to see people forgiven that God had forgiven. Right? If God had forgiven them, why couldn't Jonah? Right? And so we see this, and we see this reflected in our own hearts, in our own lives at times. You know, we deal with this sense of unforgiveness. We struggle with, with forgiving people who have wronged us. And so Jonah is an example of, of that for us. But yet we see throughout Scripture that God calls us to be a people that forgives. To be a people that forgives others, just as God has forgiven us. See, forgiveness is about sensing, excuse me, ceasing to feel resentment for wrongs or offenses and involves the restoration of broken relationships. And so forgiveness, as it's displayed in the Bible, is primarily about God having forgiven us. And we've talked about this a lot over the last few weeks, about the impact that Christ's death and resurrection has had on our lives, the impact that it has had on our relationship with him. Last week we talked about how we were hostile towards God. We were enemies with God while we were still lost in our sin. But through Christ's death and resurrection, he has brought us restoration. He has brought us back into his family. And so, uh, and, uh, and to put it another way, we have experienced his forgiveness. Forgiveness as an act of God is re- has released sinners from judgment and from the penalty of sin. We no longer have to face the consequences, the the penalty of our sin, because Christ took that upon himself on the cross. 
Instead, we can experience His forgiveness and experience a relationship with Him. And so in the same way, forgiveness is also a human act toward one another in response to the forgiveness experienced through Christ's death and His resurrection. 1 John 4, the passage we looked at uh, previously uh, when we talked about God's love for us, talks about how we love because He first loved us. I think we can also say that we forgive because He first forgave us. In that same way, our forgiveness is a response to the act of God in our own lives and in the lives of others. If God has forgiven, why can't we? If God has, has been willing to forgive someone the wrongs that were committed against Him, why can't we do the same when someone wrongs us? See, it's about imitating the, char- the very character and nature of God. Just as love, God's love flows in us and overflows in our lives, the forgiveness that God shows and expresses towards us should then overflow in our lives to other people as well. See, forgiveness is, is a very part of who God is and, and, and what He has done for us. In Exodus chapter 34, uh, Moses asked to, to see God. He wants to, to experience God and see Him face to face. And of course, God says, no, no one can see me face to face and live. But he does grant Moses his wish by, by, by protecting Moses, by passing by him. And, and Moses is able to glimpse kind of the back, the tail end of his glory. But as he's passing by, as, as Moses is experiencing this, God himself uh, makes this declaration about who he is. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. God says about himself, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, when God had an opportunity to declare who he was, when God had an opportunity to make himself known, the very thing he started with was his love and compassion and his forgiveness. And so when we talk about God having forgiven us in Christ, it's a very, it's, it makes sense not just in terms of, of Jesus in the New Testament, but, but God's character displayed throughout Scripture. God is a forgiving and compassionate God. And so as we try in this life to imitate Him, as we try to become more like Him, it means that we're going to become more forgiving. And we're going to have to be willing to forgive others when they've wronged us, just as God forgave us in Christ. And there's powerful metaphors of God's forgiveness throughout the Old Testament. Micah 7.9 says that He has cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103.12 says He has separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 38 verse 17 says that, that our sin is hid behind God's back. He's put it behind Him. Jeremiah 31.34 says that He remembers our sins no more. And Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, says that the, stin, the stain that sin re- leaves in our lives, though it is like scarlet, our lives are bleached white once again. The stain of sin is removed from us, and so we no longer are defined by it. You see, forgiveness is powerfully demonstrated in the Old Testament, not just in the New. It's a very part of who God is. But then forgiveness then in the New Testament is extended and intensified through the death of Christ. What was true about God throughout Scripture is made explicitly known in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. 
So in other words, Christ wasn't doing something new. It's not that the God of the Old Testament was angry and vengeful and, and wanted to see people suffer. And then Jesus comes along and changes his mind. Jesus is the continuation of, of what God had been doing through, since the beginning of time, throughout Scripture. Jesus is the culmination. He's the, he's the, the point where, where it all becomes a reality. And so his death and his resurrection is, is how forgiveness is possible. And it's possible only through him. And, and the New Testament gives, in a sense, um, what can be called conditions on forgiveness. And that may seem a little strange. You know, we talk about how forgiveness is, is the free gift of God, which is true. Grace is extended to each one of us without us deserving it or without us earning it. But there is uh, clearly in the New Testament... Um, what, what we can call conditions that not in the sense that we earn our salvation this way, that we earn God's forgiveness this way, but these things, if we are forgiven, will be true in our lives. Does that make sense, the distinction there? These are things that are, are the result of, of true and genuine forgiveness, truly experiencing the forgiveness that God has offered to each one of us. And the first is repentance. Right, that we will turn away from our sins and turn toward Christ. If we've truly experienced God's forgiveness in Christ, then we will we will turn away from our sins. We will turn away from those things in our lives that that have drawn us away from God and will turn toward Him. That's what that's what repentance is all about. Because of what Christ has done for us, because of the grace He's extended to us, we will then turn away from our old selves, turn away from those sinful patterns, and turn toward Christ. And the second thing that we see uh, in Scripture is that if we have experienced God's forgiveness, if we truly have experienced it for ourselves, we will then extend that forgiveness we experience to others. We will forgive others just as we have been forgiven. And that's a hard thing, isn't it? Because as I said, like, like with Jonah, we want to hold on to our anger. We want to hold on to our bitterness. Because those things can, can bring us a sense of, of comfort, as, as strange as that may sound, when we extend forgiveness to someone else, we're letting go of that. We're being willing to move past the familiar pain that we've experienced. We're willing to move past holding grudges and being angry at other people. And so, so forgiving others is a hard thing to do, but it's what God calls us to do because we've been forgiven ourselves. And so if we have truly experienced God's forgiveness, we will then extend that same forgiveness to others. And we see that spelled out for us in, this, in these passages that we have before us today, Ephesians and Colossians. They, they, and I, I, we have two scripture readings because they pretty much give the same basic message. And so I wanted you to see that this isn't just a random uh, verse from the New Testament that talks about forgiveness that we then are, are building on. But this is a common theme throughout Scripture. And we see it clearly spelled out in two separate books of the New Testament. And as I mentioned, it's a theme that builds on God's very character that we see throughout Scripture. And so the, the same basic message is found in both of these passages. And the first thing is that forgiveness is possible because we have been transformed by Christ. Ephesians 4.30 says that we have been sealed through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in us and as a mark of, our, of the forgiveness we ourselves have experienced. And Colossians 3.12 says that as God's, we are able to do this as God's chosen people. As God's people, we are able to do this. And so as we put our faith in Jesus, he begins to change us from the inside out. 
And so forgiveness, living this way, is possible only in and through Him and the relationship that we have with Him. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not, not our own power. And so transformation, including the ability to let go of grudges and forgive others, is only possible through Him. You probably heard the phrase, fake it till you make it, right? And that doesn't really apply here. You know, there's things that we can do that, that um, are first steps towards forgiveness that we can do on our own. It's, you see, it's possible to forgive others and have some of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit in one's life apart from being transformed by Christ. But, but if we try to fake it till we make it, we're never really going to get there. We're never going to be able to experience genuine forgiveness for others apart from God's work in our lives. You know, we can make, I can make Josephine say she's sorry to someone else and she doesn't, may not really mean it, right? She may do something wrong. We make her sit on the step and we talk to her about what she did. And, and usually after one of those conversations, we'll say, all right, now say sorry to mom or say sorry to dad or whoever was the, the party offended. And so she'll get up and she'll go, I'm sorry, and walk over and give us a hug. But, you know, of course she's two, so that's another part of the story. But, but she can't really, you know, in, those, in that moment, she, doesn't, she may not be genuinely sorry. She may not be genuinely forgiving someone else. She's just doing it because she knows it's, she knows it's expected of her. In the same way, apart from being transformed by Christ, we can, we can appear to be forgiving others. Right? We can walk through the steps of, of forgiveness, but but to really let it take root in our lives, to really genuinely forgive someone like Christ forgave us, we need first to experience that in our own lives. We will never really get to the point that God desires us to get to apart from him. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Uh, Peter uh, comes to Jesus and he asks him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. You know, I think in a sense, Peter was asking, all right, how, how far do we really have to go? If they, if they sin against us, if they offend us seven times, is that enough? Can we stop forgiving at that point? Right? It's almost like that, that phrase, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Right? I'll let you pass once, maybe twice. Peter saying maybe up to seven times, but after that we're done. And I love Jesus' response here because he doesn't just, he, you know, he gives them this number, 77. But, that, but I don't think Jesus was really putting a cap on it. He wasn't saying, okay, up to 77 times and then you can quit forgiving. I think the point that Jesus is making is that the forgiveness that we're supposed to extend to others goes so far and above and beyond what, what we would expect of ourselves. Yeah, do it even more than you would possibly be able to do it on your own continue to forgive even when it's hard continue to do it even when you don't want to jesus asks us to extend that forgiveness beyond what we could do in our own power and that's why we need him working in us to accomplish it see the call to forgiveness is rooted in our status as god's children who have experienced god's love and forgiveness as I mentioned earlier, we forgive because he first forgave us. That's why these passages mention, you know, these, these, this command to forgive others is not for all people of all time. It's for people who claim to follow Christ, who are part of his kingdom, who are part of his family. This call to forgiveness is, is aimed at Christians and should be a defining characteristic of who we are. 
Everything we've talked about in this series uh, since Easter, we've talked about grace and love and humility and now forgiveness. They are all mercies that God extends to us as his children. And he's just asking that we then take what we've received and pass it on to others. Again, we're not doing this in our own power, but we're able to do it through him. So the first thing we need to realize is that we are transformed by his power. And so if we are transformed, therefore, we should then get rid of sinful behavior. Ephesians 4.29 talks about getting rid of unwholesome talk. Now, this isn't just necessarily, you know, speaking crudely or cursing or anything like that. But the, the word unwholesome that has, has a sense of being rotten. In other words, it's things that, that destroy the foundation, things that can tear each other down instead of building each other up. In Colossians chapter 3, uh, actually the verses leading up uh, to the passage we read, verses 5 through 11, talk about these things, these characteristics of sinful behavior. And he says that we need to put those things to death. We need to, to remove those things from our lives in order to, to be able to live the kind of life God desires for us. And so therefore, since we've been saved, we ought to put away our sin. These vices do not build healthy relationships. In fact, they undermine authentic Christian community. Trying to be a, a body of believers in New Knoxville or wherever we may find ourselves is impossible if we, if we continue to live out these kind of bitterness and anger and rage that is described here. Instead, we need to put those things off and put on the kind of uh, characteristics that are talked about in this passage in a positive sense. And so if we are unwilling to forgive, these things begin to grow in our hearts. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, and every other form of malice. And when we're unwilling to forgive, these things, they take root in our heart and our mind, and there's no room for God's grace to work in our lives. There's this skit I've seen once. Uh, uh, you guys may be familiar with the skit guys. I know um, uh, there may be more geared towards youth ministry, or right? I have uh, experience uh, with that. Uh, but I've seen them live, and, and one of the skits I saw them perform uh, was this, one of them was just standing alone on stage, and he had this, all this, like, luggage around him, like you'd see, like, in an airport or something like that. And he just kept talking about all the stuff and all the junk that was happening in his life. And all of the things that had caused him to be bitter and caused him to be resentful and all the ways that people had wronged him. And as he, as he was talking about these things, he was just walking around and, and with each one he'd pick up a piece of luggage. And then he'd go on and talk about another one and he'd, he'd walk over here and pick up another piece of luggage and strap it over his shoulder. And then he'd go on and talk about all this stuff. And eventually what happened is he was standing there in the middle of the stage with, with just luggage just weighing him down strapped around his neck and on his back and in both arms and, and around his chest. And, and you just get this picture of how all of those things, all that resentment, all that anger, all that bitterness was just weighing him down. And it got to the point that he could barely even walk. He could barely even move because of the weight of that luggage. That's like, that's what happens in our lives when we are unwilling to forgive. When we're unwilling to let go of the things that, that, cause us to be bitter and angry and resentful. We just get weighed down and weighed down to the point that we can barely even function sometimes. And so what Christ asks us to do is, in forgiveness is, is begin to let go of some of that baggage. As we forgive, we're able to put down the baggage that's weighing us down. We're able to set it to the side. And eventually, as we are able to do that, as we're able to let go of, of one bag, two bags, three bags, we realize that 
we're able to start moving again. We're able to start to continue our way through life because we've been able to let go of the baggage that was weighing us down. So often, forgive the issues that, that, call, that we hold on to, the grudges that we hold on to, aren't affecting other people. They're affecting us. Right? The person we're mad at may not even know that we're mad at them. Right? They may not even be aware that we're, we got this bitterness inside of us. And so when we are unwilling to forgive, it's, it's often us that, that are being affected by it, not the other person. It's me holding on to the grudge that's being weighed down. And so we need to set those things aside. We need to be willing to forgive in order to let go of the bitterness and anger in our lives. We need to forgive instead of holding on to the pain. And so we also need, finally, to, to, instead of being defined by those negative qualities, we need to clothe ourselves with Christ-like behavior. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in Christ God forgave you. In Colossians 3, these three verses all describe uh, the kind of life God desires for us to live. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We need to clothe ourselves. You see, forgiveness is a choice. Being Christ-like and forgiving others is a choice we have to make every day. Just as it's a choice to decide what to wear in the morning, we need to decide to put on Christ-likeness. We need to decide to forgive as Christ forgave us. It's a decision we have to make daily. God is working in us as a result of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we need to allow him to work. We need to give him the space and room to work, to allow him to uproot that anger and, and begin the process of transformation. And so we forgive because of the forgiveness we ourselves have experienced in Christ. To forgive others is to be Christ-like. And if we're unwilling to forgive, it demonstrates that we have not been forgiven ourselves. A person who has experienced God's forgiveness should be willing to extend that same to others. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. This is right after the Lord's Prayer where we ask God to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. He says, for if you forgive other people what the sin when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. Right? That's hard. Our forgiveness of others is a direct result of God's forgiveness in our own lives. And so if we're unwilling to forgive others, it's a sign that we have not truly experienced his forgiveness. Matthew 18, uh, directly after Peter asked Jesus about uh, about the, how many times we should forgive others, Jesus tells the, this parable about a wicked servant, about this man who was, who was forgiven alone uh, that was so great uh, that he could never possibly pay it back. And so he begs for mercy, he begs for forgiveness, and the master grants it to him. He says, I will show you mercy and I will wipe your slate clean. But then the servant then goes out after having been forgiven and finds someone who owes him just a small tiny, minuscule fraction of the debt he owed. I actually looked it up, and, and, and if, you, if you base the, the, trend, the values of the debts there, uh, this man owed 0.001% of the debt that he was forgiven. But yet he goes out and he demands that this person pay back the debt. And he even has him thrown in jail. And then the master hears about how about this unmerciful servant, this servant who has given so much, but yet was unwilling to share that with others? He says, because you've not been forgiven, because you have held 
someone else accountable for their debt when you've been forgiven so much, he is then thrown in jail as well. And the point of the parable is that that we can never repay God, yet he shows us mercy. Shouldn't we then extend the same kind of mercy to others? In closing, I just want to share a few, few things about what forgiveness is not. When I talk about forgiving others, I'm not talking about restoring trust to them immediately. Trust is built slowly over time, but can be lost in an instant. To forgive them, we're, we're called to forgive them, but we also need to learn from our mistakes of the past and protect ourselves from any further wrongdoing. To forgive someone is not to just restore trust to them immediately. Forgiving them is also not forgetting what happened Forgive and forget does not lead to healing. It's more of a coping mechanism than true forgiveness. We're often unable to deal with the pain of the situation, so we pretend like it never happened. But true forgiveness acknowledges the wrongs we committed, but it chooses to forgive in spite of it. Forgiveness is also not pretending that feelings of hurt and betrayal don't exist, saying it's no big deal, don't worry about it. If we're able to acknowledge the pain, If you are unable to acknowledge the pain, you'll never experience the healing that forgiveness can bring. And forgiveness, um, it costs us something. It's about letting go of the right to seek vengeance. Jonah wanted to see Nineveh burn. That's what he desired in his heart. But forgiveness is being willing to let go in spite of that. And forgiveness is not possible in our own power. We're only able to forgive through our experience of God's forgiveness. Forgiveness um, forgiveness is only possible through him. And so let us practice forgiveness. Let us first seek to ask God to work in our own hearts. Ask him for the desire to forgive, because it's not going to come on our own. And we need to let the person know that you forgive them. Talk with the person. If it's too hard to talk with them in person, write them a letter. But we need to do something to let them know that you forgive them. And when you do so, ask for nothing in return. Jesus extends forgiveness to each one of us with no strings attached, and we should offer the same, same forgiveness. And third, we need to acknowledge ways that we have hurt someone else and ask for their forgiveness. See, none of us are perfect. Maybe you are sitting here thinking, right, I, I'm not holding on to bitter or, or bitterness or rage or anything like that. You know, I don't have anything really to forgive someone else, well, maybe you have been the person on the other side of the story. Maybe you've been one who has wronged someone in the past. And you need to confess that, acknowledge it, and ask for forgiveness as well, because that's that's an important part too. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. As we seek to forgive others, God will heal our hurts and our wounds in our own lives, and bring us to reconciliation. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a God who forgives and that you ask us to extend that forgiveness to others. It's not easy. It can be painful at times, Lord, uh, to let go of, of, our, of our rage and our bitterness. But Lord, help us to do it. May your spirit inspire us to forgive others as we have been forgiven ourselves. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand in and closing sing the the first verse of number 43, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.